strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Hi, and welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Robin. And I'm Jen. And today we are going to talk about the Great Molasses Flood. The world's slowest flood. (laughs) The world's slowest. It goes glug. So the Great Molasses Flood, also known as the Bass, the Boston, the Boston. It's perfect. <laughs> I think it's perfect. I don't think you meant it, but I mean, I don't think you could recreate it. No. But it was perfect. So, yeah. The Great Molasses Flood, also known as the Boston Molasses Disaster or the Great Boston Molasses Flood, occurred on January 15th, 1919 in the North End neighborhood of Boston, Massachusetts. So at the Purity Distillery Company, a large molasses storage tank burst and a wave of molasses rushed through the streets at an estimated 35 miles per hour, killing 21 people and injuring 150. Right, 35 miles an hour, is, that's pretty fucking fast. It is. I would have thought it would have been like, you know, when you're trying to put honey in your tea, and you're like, come on, come on, come on, honey bear, just give me a little drop. It depends, like, like how how filled is the honey bear <clears throat> bottle. <laughs> it's like, you know? if it's towards the end, it's going to take forever. I know, you have to run it under hot water. So but if get... it's in the beginning, it's going to run pretty fast. I know, when there's weight behind honey, mm-hmm. it, like, moves, I guess, same with molasses. The event entered into the local folklore, and even decades afterwards, people said that they can still smell the scent of molasses on a hot summer day. Molasses can be fermented to produce rum and ethanol. Thank you. The active ingredient in some alcoholic beverages. You're welcome. The stored molasses was waiting to be transferred to a plant that was located between Willow Street and what is now named Everty's Way in Cambridge. At about... I've never been to Boston. I have no idea. Oh, I know. I know where it is. By uh, Harvard. So at at about 12.30 p.m. near... Carney Square, a molasses tank about 50 feet tall and 90 feet in diameter containing about 2.3 million gallons had collapsed. The massive tank was nearly full thanks to the recent infusion of molasses from Puerto Rico. Yeah, I was like, where does one get 2.3 million gallons of molasses apparently from Puerto Rico? So many witnesses reported that as it collapsed, it felt like the ground shook at the same time they heard a roar and rumbling similar to that of a passing train. They heard a tremendous crashing noise, as well as thunderous bangs, as the rivets shot out of the tank, and the sound was so loud that it sounded as if gun- machine guns were going off. It's like, da 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 and then it's like, down the street. The collapse unleashed a wave of molasses, 20 feet high. Uh, at its peak and moving, feet high? and moving about 35 miles per hour. The molasses was a sufficient force to damage part of the Boston Elevated Railway's Atlantic Avenue structure and tip a railroad car off its track. It, so it knocked over a railroad car. Yeah. Just one. Just one. So far, yeah. One singular railroad car. Mm-hmm. So all the other train is fine. Well, I think because all of them are, were out. This was the only one that was actually docked to get passengers. And so it tipped one over. So author Stephen Puello describes how nearby buildings were swept off their foundations and crushed. Several blocks were flooded to the depth of about two to three feet. And... Stephen Polo also says in his book, Molasses, waist deep, covered the street and swirled and bubbled about the wreckage. Here and there struggled to form, whether it was animal or human being, was impossible to tell. Only an upheaval, a thrashing about in the sticky mass, showed where any life was. Horses died like so many flies in sticky flypaper. The more they struggled, the deeper the mess they were instirred. Human beings, men and women, suffered likewise. That was during his, his, uh... So people died? Yeah, 21 people died. 
and 150 were injured. People but the, dive in molasses? Mm-hmm. And the way that he described it was kind of like... The harder f- you fight, like, the worse it gets. Yeah, and it was kind of like sticking on flypaper. Like fly a paper. Venus flytrap. Just like tar pits, kind of. Ooh, dinosaurs quick sand. Mm-hmm. So the Boston Globe reported that people were picked up by a rush of air and hurled about many feet. Other people had debris hurled at them. A truck was picked up and basically thrown into the Boston Harbor. About 150 people were injured. And along with the 21 people, also horses were killed. Some were either crushed or drowned in molasses. Besides people and horses, the wounded also involved cats and dogs that were the strays running around the streets. Hmm, not the puppies. In an article from the Smithsonian, Edward Park wrote, Anthony DiStasio, walking homeward with his sisters from school, was picked up by the wave and carried tumbling on his crest, almost as though he was surfing. I was going to say, yeah. it's like a fucking syrup surf. <laughs> then he grounded and the molasses rolled him like a pebble as the wave diminished. He heard his mother call his name and couldn't answer. His throat was so clogged with the smothering goo. He passed out and then opened his eyes to find three of his four sisters staring at him. He survived. Thank God. I mean, <laughs> waving around in massive pal goo. I mean, like, I can't eat a Laffy Taffy without trouble. <laughs> like, I can't imagine. I love Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pie People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the, uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are, rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Try like, to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to <laughs> podcasts on. Yeah, podcast, your, homecasts. Your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. So the Massachusetts Foundation for Humanities claimed that the property damage alone totaled about $100 million today. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. So the human cost of the disaster was even grimmer. The wave of the molasses moved so quickly and so forcefully that anyone who was unlucky enough to be in its way didn't stand much of a chance. Any flood would have been disastrous, but the vicious nature of molasses made rescue attempts even harder. Medical and police officers arrived on the scene quickly, but has to slug through the waist-deep goo to reach the victims. Yeah, I mean, like, how it's not like you can, like, pop in a canoe or a raft and, like, no, just wade there. on over. It's like, no, right. you're, you're, you're trotting through it and trying yeah. to get to them. Yeah. It's like when you try to run in a pool, you know? I'm coming for you. They're coming for you, Barbara. <laughs> so even after the victims have been pulled from the muck, the cleanup crews quickly learned that getting rid of 2.5 million gallons of molasses is not an easy thing. I can't clean the sticky <laughs> things off of like a two-inch surface. So I was like, I'm, I'm soaking a pot right now because I gave up last night. So Stephen Poilo even mentioned the cleanup in his writings. He said that the chief obstacles of cleanup were firefighters couldn't just use their hoses to blast the molasses off buildings and streets with fresh water. Eventually, they realized that salt water could actually cut through the hardened molasses and enable them to hose it down on the street. Yeah, I mean, because at a certain point, 
does it kind of turn into candy? Yeah, it hardens. <laughs> yeah. So like, now, so now, now you just have this giant sheet of like hard rock candy. But I mean, my dream, <laughs> right? But uh, according to them, firefighters couldn't use the fresh water from the hydrants. They yeah. actually had to get it from the harbor well, because they needed salt water. I mean, like if you've ever tried to clean anything sticky, cold water only makes it worse. worse. Mm-hmm. So thanks to all the foot traffic in the area from the rescue workers, cleanup crews and rubbleneckers helped sticky mess move around the city having it being stuck on the bottom of people's shoes. So they're able to actually extract a lot of it because they traveled with them. The cleanup molasses will travel. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about a sticky situation. Oh, fucking Christ. (laughs) You're fired. I don't know what to say. You're fired. (laughs) Low-hanging fruit. (laughs) I'm sorry, not sorry. (laughs) So the cleanup effort required about 80,000 man hours. All right, so during the whole debacle, this whole molasses thing. I mean, it is quite the debacle. It's a I'm, fucking I'm, mess. I'm not going to repeat my joke. Cause that, I, I, you're done here. You're done here. I'm we all get allowed, it. I'm only allowed to use it once. Everyone was wondering, who's to blame? What happened? Why did this giant thing, 50 feet tall, 90 feet in diameter, explode, right? So how did this tragedy happen? So the United States Industrial Alcohol Company was pretty quick to blame everyone's favorite early 20th century scapegoats, the anarchists. Oh, they were everyone's favorite? (laughs) I was going to say booze, but all right. (laughs) Well, the booze company. It's a booze company, right? The booze company was blaming the anarchists. So the company claimed that since alcohol was an ingredient in government munitions, anarchists must have sabotaged the tank by detonating a bomb. So they're claiming that someone blew up their uh-huh. tank of molasses. Well, that's just one theory. Another theory explained that the molasses had been fermented inside the tank, which had then led to the explosion. Right. The, the natural gas mm-hmm. fermentation process exploded. Mm-hmm. Investigators soon found the real culprit behind the disaster. Shitty construction work. That's what I figured. I mean, like, <laughs> we're talking like early 20th century. Uh-huh. You know, so, yeah. this, isn't, this isn't fine craftsmanship. No, the company had been in such a hurry to get the tank built back in 1915 that it didn't just cut corners, but in fact ignored all corners completely. Modern studies have found that the tank walls were both too thin and made of steel that was too brittle to withstand the volume of the molasses. The man who oversaw the construction wasn't an engineer or an architect. He couldn't even read a blueprint. I mean, who can, right? I can. (laughs) With all my interior design classes I took. I make copies of blueprints for like two years <laughs> as a job, but like I wouldn't say that I could like read it, read it. I mean, like I could kind of get it, like in terms of like I I could probably mount a heist around a blueprint, but I couldn't tell you exactly. I can I can tell by a single wall, double wall, a window, an electric outlet. Well, perfect. Then you can help me with my heist. <laughs> Who else was going to help you anyway? I mean that's that is fucking true. That is one hundred percent true. I mean, I mean, I mean, we're not we're not planning a heist at all. I mean, um, of course we're not planning a heist because we're clumsy as fuck. But <laughs> I fell twice today. You fell twice today. We can't go ten <laughs> feet without burping. <laughs> we're gonna get caught. I blame the Indian food. Anyway, so the tank needed to be an engineering marvel to hold so much weight, but the company never even consulted an engineer for the project. They built this giant tank as quickly and as cheaply as possible, and they skipped out on all the inspections and safety tests. So even with all these details about bad construction, the tank still lasted four years. 
Nearby residents reported the tank had leaked since its first day, and rather than fix the problem, the United States Industrial Alcohol Company had painted the tank brown so leaks would be less noticeable. I mean, you know, smart, but also, like, do we notice that it's called an industrial alcohol company? Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't know if I want my rum from a place that's called making industrial alcohol. Industrial alcohol, but also just covers up the problem instead of actually fixing it. I mean, that's what all corporations do, right? Yeah, but if you're paying someone to paint a giant 50 foot by 90 foot container. I mean, but how much does a painter cost in like early 20th century Boston? And like, you know, tight bolts. Cheap paints cheaper. Yeah, sure. The large working class North End residents had lost their homes and loved ones in the disaster and turned their rage towards the USIAC, where they found themselves with about 125 lawsuits. All of these lawsuits led to a legal battle that nearly matched the flood scales and damages. So some people made some money, money, Mm. money. Yep. Good for them, man. Mm. Working class folk. Getting paid. So the Massachusetts Supreme Court named Colonel Hughes Ogden as the auditor who would hear the evidence, and it took him six years to hear the testimonies from 3,000 witnesses. He finally concluded that there was no evidence to support the company's theory of anarchist sabotage, and instead found that the factor of safety in the tank's construction and inspection was extremely low. The USIA was liable for the damage and paid around $7,000 to the family of each victim. Nice. I mean, that's a lot of money, like, I mean, back in 1990. Now, I mean... I'll take seven grand. Yeah, so it took him about six years. So this happened in 1919. So yeah. So this just happened like a decade before the Great Depression too. $7,000 in today's money, $102,000. For each victim. Yeah, I mean, that like sets you right. Like that's like, even by those standards, you're imagining they like moved away from like inner city, got like a nice house, like a little garden. And it like totally sucked that their family member was dead. But at least they had like some sort of compensation that like made their lives better going yeah. forward. And I don't think that during that time, I don't think lawyer costs were that like very substantially, especially since in this case, there's so much going on. Actually, that- they're probably terrible. Yeah. There are probably totally lawyers who took 50%. They lost a loved one. Mm. That's not t- that's not good. That's not right. But at least this company had to pay for their, like, wrongdoing. Good on that judge. Good on him. Yeah, due to fact- factor of safety. Get your shit checked, people. Do the right thing. In all, in all aspects of life, get your shit checked. Get your shit checked. Do the right thing. Like I said in <clears throat> other episodes... No such thing as a shortcut in life. You got to do the work. Very true. If you're going to engineer something, you probably need a fucking engineer. <laughs> Absolutely. So the Great Molasses Flood still seems like a tragedy that could have been averted, but the disaster really drew the attention to, to the potential repercussions of shitty construction. Actually, like, <laughs> did you write shitty or is it no. just shitty, like, around the board? It's around the board. This is what Or were I, they trying to say shoddy and you're just oh saying no, shitty? Oh, no. Three websites said shitty construction. Just shitty construction. All right. And I chose to keep it in there because it was, in fact, shitty construction. (laughs) We're explicit. Mm. So this case helped Massachusetts and many other states to pass laws requiring that engineers and architects expect and approve all projects. Reasonable. Mm -hmm. For nearly 100 years, no one really knew why the spill was so deadly. The American Physical Society, which included scientists and students, came to the conclusion that with the shipment from Puerto Rico... 
It came in winter, where it was met with cold air. By studying the effects of cold weather on molasses, the researchers determined that the disaster was more fatal in the winter than it would in the warm season. Right, it would have been thinner. The syrup would have moved more quickly. Yeah. And it would have... It wouldn't have hit people like a wall of, like, sugar crystal. The syrup moved quickly enough to spread, but thickened and hardened the goo once it hit the cold weather. But if the tank exploded in warm weather, it would have flowed further... But the consistency would have been a lot thinner. So it would have gone a lot further. Yeah. So like, so in what case, what is better? To have it short distance of disaster, but no deaths, or long distance disaster? Do you like it short and thick or long and thin? Oh, hello. So the USISC did not rebuild the tank. The property that formerly occupied the molasses tank is now a yard for the Boston Elevated Railway and is currently the site of a city-owned recreational center called Langham Park, which features a little league baseball field, a playground, and a bocce court. There's a small plaque at the entrance to the park, and it is titled The Boston Molasses Flood, and gives a quick description of what occurred and mentions the 20 people who have lost their lives. And when it gets really hot there, the little kids are playing baseball. It totally smells like molasses. <laughs> it's sweet. It's savory. It's little delicious. I don't know what to say. You're like the queen of weird floods. I don't know bizarre unfortunately in this case other than other floods that happened it was it was different to a point of the consistency and the structure of what caused a flood so molasses floods are so much different than water or beer or any other things that we may talk about because well, yeah. of, of this consistency it's just so odd it's such an odd thing yeah and then it's it hits the cold weather yeah it's yeah. like it's like bricks of honey hitting mm-hmm. you yeah, yeah it's terrible so the Great Molasses Flood of Boston, Massachusetts. A sticky situation, just another notorious narrative. Have a show idea? Send it on over to us along with any questions, comments, or corrections to NotoriousNarratives at gmail.com. You can follow us on our Instagram at NotoriousNarratives and Twitter at NotoriousTales. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Every review helps other listeners to find us. Thanks so much.